Well, hello, saints, sinners, and all those in between. Welcome back to another episode of Chronicles Unleashed, where people detour from the road to redemption and struggle to find their way back. As you'll discover, the characters in our fictional stories, as well as the people in the real-life sagas, long for the same things, understanding, forgiveness, and mercy. You may even recognize pieces of your own life. Every week, Chronicles Unleashed will bring you tales of love, life, and human error. You'll be relieved to know that your own mistakes aren't as bad as you think. And even if they are, someone has done it before and been forgiven. Well, hello, everybody. I'm back. Coming to you from the nation's capital where there is no end to the drama. But we're not intimidated by that at Chronicles Unleashed because drama is our way of life. Admit it, did any of you think that the red box would end the way it did? In death, Dorothy Littleton definitely got the last word, didn't she? Well, when it comes to death, we should all put the exclamation point on our lives. I mean, when somebody else decides our last wishes, it's never what we really want. And it can be messy and costly. Like the case of Pablo Picasso, a famous artist who died in 1973. He left a substantial estate that included artwork, five homes, gold, and bonds. However, because he didn't have a will, it took six years to settle the estate at a whopping cost of $30 million. However, having a will doesn't guarantee that life for those left behind will be simple or boring. You wouldn't believe what some people say when they do have the last word. Let's start with the animal lovers. You know the old saying that dogs have owners and cats have staff? Well, apparently, according to some of these wills, they also have benefactors. Fashion icon Carl Langefeld left a substantial sum in his will to his cat Chopette. She'll need it, because while Langerford was alive, he employed two maids to look after the pampered animal who he said had four different dishes prepared for her every day, served in fabulous bowls. I know grown people who don't get that. Then there was this guy, Jonathan Jackson, who was so fond of cats that he set aside money for the creation of a huge cat house. No, not that kind of cat house. This one was a real feline cat house. It was supposed to be a sprawling estate which was to include bedrooms, a dining room, exercise grounds, a rectory, rat holes for sport, and an auditorium where cats could listen to accordion music, which he claimed was the preferred music of cats. Not to be outdone, there was Dusty Springfield, a popular singer in the 1960s who insisted in her will that her cat Nicholas would be fed imported baby food given an indoor treehouse, and serenaded with her old records. Dusty also wanted to have his sleeping space lined with her nightgown and pillow. Then she did some matchmaking from the grave and recommended that he get married to the female cat belonging to one of her friends. Okay, then there was the popular fashion designer and loving pet parent Alexander McQueen, who made provisions for his dogs after he tragically committed suicide in 2010. He left his dog $75,000 now. That ought to keep them in style for a minute. 
Then there was Leona Helmsley, a billionaire who was known as the Queen of Mean. She actually spent time in jail for failing to pay her taxes, but she loved her dogs. She lived up to her reputation when she died in 2007 and left the bulk of her five to eight billion dollar estate to be used for the benefit of dogs rather than keeping her original draft, which left the money to the poor. Let me go over that again. Yes, she left the five to eight billion dollars for dogs rather than people. Yes, I did say that. Her grandchildren were either cut out of the will or ordered to visit their father's grave annually in order to inherit their share. She left $10 million to her brother, $5 million to her grandsons, and a whooping $12 million to her own dog, Maltese, a Maltese named Trouble. I just want to know what his will looked like. Finally, though the legendary Oprah Winfrey is still with us, in her will, she has reportedly left $30 million for her dogs so that they will be well taken care of. I know they will be. Of course, there are some people who die but insist on exercising some control over the people who are still living. Sort of like remote control. Even though they're dead, they just can't let it go. Like the famous author Charles Dickens, who in his will had a dress code for the mourners. Funeral attendees were forbidden from wearing sporting scarves, cloaks, black bows, long hat bands, or any other revolting absurdity wonder who played the fashion police at that event. Ben Franklin may have been a founding father, but he certainly wasn't a practical one. In his will, he left his daughter 408 diamonds on the condition that she never turned them into jewelry and thereby introduce the expensive, vain, and useless fashion wearing of jewels in this country. What did he think she was going to do with it? Make a mouth grill? Some artists use their wills to exercise creative control from the grave, like the Beastie Boys, Adam M.C. Rauch, who banned the Beastie Boys' music and his own image from being used in commercials. And when Academy Award actor Philip Seymour Hoffman passed away in 2014, his family wanted to fight. He didn't want his children to be entitled brats, so he left everything to his girlfriend, Mimi O'Donnell. It was, the will was written before his younger children were born, and Hoffman's will specified that his oldest son would be raised in New York, Chicago, or San Francisco, saying that he wanted his son to be exposed to the culture, arts, and architecture that such cities had to offer. The problem was that at the time of his death, he was a struggling drug addict. By that time, he and Mimi had three children and had broken up. Unfortunately, he had never updated his will. Accordingly, his children got nothing and Mimi got everything. As usual, the queen rules the chessboard. Then there was a Michigan millionaire, Wellington Burt, 
who deprived his family of all his wealth for almost a full century. Now this is some serious dysfunction. When he died in 1919, his will was discovered to specify that his vast fortune would not be passed on until 21 years after the death of his last surviving grandchild. She died in 1989, and the 21-year countdown ended on November in 2010. About 12 people discovered that they were beneficiaries of this weird will, described by some as the legacy of bitterness, and they shared a fortune estimated to be worth $110 million. Woo! Then there was Houdini, the magician and the escape artist who left his wife a secret code which he said he'd use to contact her from the afterlife. She held seances every year on the date of his death, which was Halloween, by the way, and was never successful in contacting him. She must have forgotten that her vows said, till death do them part. Anyway, there was Frank Mandelbaum. His will was read in 2007, and it was interesting. It was discovered that he left behind $180,000 in a trust fund for his grandchildren. But there was one additional clause that was a problem for his son, Robert. Robert's children could only inherit a share if Robert agreed to marry their mother within six months of their birth. The issue? Robert is gay and is raising his son, Cooper, with his husband. Somebody's getting ready to be broke. There are also those who want their afterlives to be an extension of the life they lived before death. Jim Henson, who invented the Muppets, felt that way. His funeral had Muppet performances, some of them singing, some of them dancing. Big Bird danced in the famous New York City Cathedral that housed his memorial service. Henson left specific instructions regarding his funerals. No black clothing. He also designed a booklet with two various texts to be distributed at his service. One read, please watch out for each other and love and forgive everybody. It is a good life. Enjoy it. The other read, it feels strange writing this kind of thing while I'm still alive but it wouldn't be easy to do after I go. Fred Bauer, the founder of Pringles Potato Chips, wanted to be cremated. That's not unusual, but he didn't want a box or an urn. Instead, Bauer requested that his remains be buried in a Pringles can. His family complied with his request. Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry also wanted to be cremated but he wanted to boldly go where no man has gone before. You guessed it. The Star Trek creator requested that his ashes be scattered into space. This was indeed done. His ashes were successfully released via a satellite orbiting the Earth in 1997. Have you ever played with a Frisbee in the park? Steady Ed Hedrick, who invented and perfected the Frisbee, decided to become one when he died Hedrick used his will to request that his ashes be placed 
inside a limited run of Frisbees for friends and relatives. He was quoted as saying, when I die, I don't go to purgatory. I just land on the roof and lay there. Comic book writer and editor Mark Runwald made a similar decision. In 1996, when he died, fans of the Marvel Comics superhero probably thought that the former Captain American writer had completed his last chapter. But Grunewald had other ideas. He requested that his ashes be mixed into the ink used to print the first trade paperback anthology of Squadron Supreme, another one of his landmark creations. In his will, writer George Bernard Shaw left 500,000 pounds for the development of a 40-letter Shaw alphabet. Okay, wonder who got that money. Recording artist, songwriter, and hard-partying Janis Joplin, famous for her work in the 60s, met her tragic death in 1970. Perhaps as a means of wanting to leave a positive memory for her family and friends, Joplin's will set aside $2,500 for a wake party in the event that she passed away. A California socialite and oil heiress died when she was just 37 years old and requested that she be buried in a laced nightgown in her Ferrari with the seat slanted comfortably. It was reported her family buried her in her powder blue 1964 Ferrari 330 America and then covered the car with cement to discourage car thieves. They must have known something. That car now sells for well over $300,000. Then there are some people who just want to have fun with their wills. I call them the people who want to engage in afterlife mischief. This section is called When Death is Stranger Than Fiction. Charles Miller, a Toronto lawyer and businessman, left all of his assets up for grabs to pretty much any woman in the neighborhood. In his will, he said that all of his estate should be left in a cash sum to the married Toronto woman who could birth the most amount of children in the decade following his death. It became known as the Stork Derby, and many women competed for the chance to claim the prize. In the end, four women tied for it with nine children each, but there were two runners-up, and they were given a small stipend for their valiant effort. In that same will, he included other mischievous bequests. A Jamaican holiday home was given away to three lawyers who notoriously hated each other. Highly valuable Ontario Jockey Club shares were bequeathed to men who had vocally opposed racetrack betting. And then there were the Catholic brewery shares that were given to the anti-drink Protestant ministers. Remember the famed frontman from the band Queen, Freddie Mercury? He shocked everybody by leaving the majority of his estate and his cremated remains to his ex-girlfriend, Mary Austin. He left instructions that Mary bury his remains in an undisclosed location. To date, she has not shared their whereabouts. The mystery continues. And then there was Norman Ernest Digweed. His will promised a substantial reward to Jesus Christ upon his return. 
on the condition that he convince the executives of the estate that he's the real deal. I know a lot of people who would have changed their names to Jesus Christ and gotten an attorney faster than you could say, Amen. And then there was the one Portuguese aristocrat who was childless and a bachelor, so he left his assets literally to strangers. He picked 70 names at random from the Lisbon phone book. When he died 13 years later, his attorneys notified the lucky but clueless beneficiaries that they stood to inherit their benefactors' cash, his home, and his car. Wow, now that's random. Some wills reflected problems in people's relationships. We call these wills love gone wrong. Zink, an Iowa lawyer who died in 1930, must have had some pretty bad experiences with women. When he died, he left his daughter a measly five bucks and his wife got nothing. He stipulated that the rest of his $100,000 estate be put in trust for 75 years and then used to create the Zinc Womanless Library. The library would have no feminine decorations, no books or magazine articles written by female authors, and was required to have a no women admitted carved into stone over the entrance. He definitely wanted it to be a man's world. Then there was poor Anne Hathaway, a.k.a. Mrs. Shakespeare. It will go down in history that she was snubbed by her famous husband beyond the grave. In his will, Shakespeare left her his second best bed, while the vast bulk of his estate went to his daughter Susanna. Enough said. Farrah Fawcett, famed blonde actress from the TV series Charlie's Angels, left almost everything to her son, Redmond Fawcett O'Neill. She also left money to her father, her nephew, and even her ex. But Ryan O'Neill, who was her partner off and on for nearly 30 years, was not mentioned at all, which wouldn't be surprising if the rumor of Ryan's violence and manipulation were true. In its most positive light, maybe the will was written during their off years and she never updated it. I don't, I don't know. And then there was William Randall Hearst, a millionaire publisher and politician. He had an interesting way of dealing with claims that he had outside children. He bequeathed anyone who could prove he or she was his child a measly $1. It should be noted that this predated Ancestry.com. Heinrich Henny, the German poet, left his entire fortune to his wife, but with one catch. She had to remarry because then there will be at least one man to regret my death. Now that's some serious shade. Finally, there are those who prefer to go out in a puff of smoke. Consider the case of Samuel Bratt. His wife refused to allow him to smoke, a habit she hated. When he died in 1960, 
Sam got his revenge. He left his widow 330,000 pounds on the condition that she smoked five cigars per day. I wonder who was monitoring her. During his life, a rich Dutch tradesman, Mr. Class, was known as the King of Smokers. His will was customized to include that all smokers in the country be invited to his funeral, that everyone at his funeral be given memorial pipes engraved with his name plus tobacco, that pipes be kept alight throughout the funeral service and then emptied onto the coffin, that his oak coffin be lined with the wood of the cigar boxes, and that he be buried with his favorite pipe along with a box of matches, a flint, a steel, and some tinder, as there was no knowing what might happen. You have to admire a man with a plan. Finally, there was Tupac Amuro Shakur, who sold over 75 million records worldwide. He is considered by many to be one of the most influential rappers of all time. On September 13, 1996, fans were devastated by his untimely death from gunshot wounds. They were further disappointed with his so-called funerals and felt that he had not been given a proper send-off, when in reality, Tupac never had funerals. After his cremation, his crew, named the Outlaws, mixed his ashes with weed and smoked him. Though this sounds strange, the Outlaws insist that they did it to honor his last wishes as expressed in his track, Black Jesus. Now, this is full disclosure. I listened to the song again and reread the lyrics, and he did say that in verse number four. Clearly, we have no control of how we come into the world, but we have some control over how we leave. Get unleashed and share your craziest funeral story. Hit us up on Facebook and Instagram or on Twitter at Chronicles, capital U-N-L-E-1. Join us next week for part one of our fictional story, Bless Me, Father, for I Have Sinned, when a mysterious man applies for a job in a church as a priest's past comes to light. Invite your friends and family to come join us and become unleashed. We only get paid when we get played, so hit us up every week. Special thanks to Mixkit and Michael Ramirez C. for the Chronicles Unleashed theme song, Scripted Life. This is Donna Edwards signing off, reminding you that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. There is hope for us all.